Hello, my dear audience. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. Before we start, I want to remind those who would like to write to me and don't have my email address yet. Here it is, drpeterresnick at gmail.com. G-R-P-E-T-E-R-R-E-Z-N-I-K at gmail.com. I'm not going to ask you today to call me, as I usually do, uh, because you are actually listening to a pre-recorded show. I recorded it a couple of days before my show time, because today, the day you are listening uh, to me, uh, as a Jewish person, for me, it's a non-working day, like Shabbat, it's a holiday. So I don't use electronics, uh, but I didn't want to skip the show. I didn't want to interrupt the flow uh, of our weekly meetings. So I'm recording the show on Friday morning. But today, when you're listening to me, uh, is a holiday called Rosh Hashanah. Literally, it means head of the year, a Jewish New Year, basically. And before I start talking about the subjects I prepared for today, I would like to share with those of you who do not know about this holiday and would possibly be interested in hearing about, about it, I want to tell you something about this holiday. Unlike most, if not all other nations, who begin a new year next day, like December 31st, and then boom, next day, it's January 1st, it's a new year. The Hebrew New Year lasts 10 days and ends, it starts this Tuesday, today, and last 10 days and uh, ends with the last day called Yom Kippur, that uh, is a day uh, date of atonement or apology. Yom Kippur literally can be translated as repentance or penitence. And it is considered the most important holiday of the Hebrew nation. Falling on September or October in, in the Gregorian calendar, usually, it's also called the day, uh, or the whole period is called Days of Awe. According to the tradition, it is on Yom Kippur, this last day of these 10 days, that God decides each person's faith. So Jews are encouraged to make amends and to ask forgiveness for sins committed or errors. Remember the word sin uh, in Hebrew is chet, which does not mean li literally sin. Chet simply means missing the mark. So you make an error. So, and you can ask for forgiveness uh, for this error. It's interesting because there are two ways you ask for forgiveness. There is a relationship between you and God and you and other human beings. So you are encouraged to pray and ask for forgiveness for these errors to God, and hopefully you will be forgiven, but you are not still uh, in the clean, in the clear, because you need also to make correction in your relationship with people. So it's not enough to pray to God, but you have to make a connection with every person you feel you wronged and ask for forgiveness. 
to them too. It is said that on Rosh Hashanah it is decided, that is today, and on Yom Kippur it is sealed. How can it be? Because we have these 10 days, even though it's decided today, then you have these 10 or nine days to contemplate, to dig deep into your soul and to think, who did I wrong? What errors I made? What do I want to do about it? These are really 10 days of contemplation. And then comes the final day. During the last day, Yom Kippur, there is a 24 hour, actually it's 25 hours. Uh, in Israel, it's 24, in uh, not in Israel. I don't even know why, but it's done for 25 years. And if a person truly repents during these 24 hours, the degree can be changed. Now, let's leave it for a moment. Hold this thought. Uh, within a short period of time, once faith can be changed, I want you to think about it. One can literally jump the train, so to speak. And now let's leave Judaism for a moment and go to the science of physics. By the way, I'm not a teacher of Judaism, just a beginner student. And I definitely uh, not a physicist. I didn't do very well in physics, chemistry, mathematics in high school. I did well with literature, uh, geography, history, but not in physics. So, but I'm just telling you what smart people wrote and I read and kind of accept if they say this, if they're a very known physicist, they will accept it, you know, not, not too many people are actually great specialists in physics. There is this idea in physics, also cosmology and astronomy and philosophy, that there are multiple or parallel universes. Maybe you heard about this idea. It's not a new idea. It originated actually with ancient Greeks. Then it was argued against and then back and forth for centuries. But never, the idea never went away. And although these days disputed by some scientists, it is supported by some quite powerful minds. For example, one of the greatest physicists of our times, late Stephen Hawkins, was a proponent of this idea, of the idea of multiverses. Multiverse, yes. And the theoretical physicist, Michio Kaku, who has actually a show here on PRN called Explorations, and I love this show, I watch it now regularly. Michio Kaku supports this idea as well. So I heard something quite interesting, listening to one of the lectures about the idea of parallel universes. Unfortunately, I cannot remember who was talking, but probably you can find this uh, on internet if you're interested in the subject, who spoke about it. I will tell you what it is. And what the speaker was suggesting that on one day of our earthly year, all those universes intersect, they all interconnect on one day only. Does it remind you of something? 
Yes, Yom Kippur. Remember, Yom Kippur is instituted as, a, as a, this one special day. And keep, keep in mind, God is not Jewish. <laughs> it's not, the, the date is not only for Jewish people. It's on one day where humanity can make a shift. And the idea that one can move from one destiny to the other. By the way, Judah, as I said, uh, everybody can jump the train. So I encourage my clients, regardless what tradition they belong to on this day, and this year, it, uh, the Yom Kippur, the final day, falls on September 16th, to connect with whatever they believe in, God, universe, nature, and ask to be allowed to jump the train to have a different outcome, to have a new start, to have a resolution to an issue, if they've been dealing with the issue for last year, to live with greater abundance, for example, or particularly when they're ill, to recover and live in health, a mental, emotional, and physical well-being. Uh, I usually recommend not to negate the negative meaning, rather than saying, uh, I don't want to be sick anymore, or I don't want to live in poverty, uh, I don't want to live in need, I don't want to have arguments in, anymore. You say, I want ab abundant health, I want abundance uh, financially, or I want to live in peace with my husband, my wife, I want my children, and so on. You only state what you want. Okay, give it a try and see what happens. And since we're on the topic of Judaism here, there is something else I want to share with you, ladies and gentlemen, before I go to the main subject of today. Uh, every week, we Hebrew people read, just as Christian people read, a portion of the Bible. And in the last couple of weeks, we have gone through some most interesting chapters. And I want to tell you about them quickly because they are, though indirectly, but super relevant to what we're dealing with today, with the whole political situation and uh, uh, critical, whatever, race theory and socialism and COVID, uh, at least, my thoughts are triggered, uh, triggered by, by, um, by this uh, portion of, of the Bible that I said, and I want to share with them. And then you see what you think about it. And I would love to hear your feedback. And even if you're an atheist, uh, you may be interested in the logic of my thoughts. Uh, actually, it's not even my thoughts, I have to tell you. They are, uh, inspired by the writings of the late Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs. And here's the thought. The modern world was shaped by four revolutions. The English in 1650s, the American in 1776, the French in 1789, and the Russian in 1917. These revolutions had quite different outcomes. 
In England and America, revolution led to representative, a representative government, gradual growth of civil liberties, human rights, and eventually to democracy. Um, on the other hand, the French Revolution brought the what they called and call now in history books the reign of terror in 1793 and 1794, in which thousands upon thousands of enemies of the revolution were executed by the guillotine. The Russian Revolution, of course, you know about it probably much more. And I know for sure, because that's where I'm coming from, the Russian Revolution led to one of the most repressive totalitarian regimes in history, about 20 million, and some estimate 27 million people died under Stalin between 1924 and 1953. Think about it. 24 million people died during the World War Two, and as much or as many or even more died just from, from this leadership, from the way Stalin uh, and before him Lenin were running the country. In the revolutionary France and the Soviet Union, the dream of utopia ended in a nightmare of hell. So what was the difference between these revolutions? The English and American revolutions were inspired by the Hebrew Bible as read and interpreted by the Puritans. The French and Russian revolutions, by contrast, were hostile to religion and were inspired instead, but instead by philosophy. Um, the French one was, of course, inspired by Jean-Jacques Rousseau in France. And Karl Marx, uh, of course, inspired all the changes that happened in Russia, the tragic changes. The obvious differences between the Torah or the Bible and philosophy, between the divine mind and human mind. Uh, to say it all in a couple of words, human beings, no matter how brilliant they are and how great their aspirations are, cannot foresee all the consequences of implementation of their ideas and higher consciousness, which is beyond our human mental capacities, and which we call God, uh, definitely can see what the consequences will be uh, right away after the implementation of these ideas, and years and generations and centuries after. So there is the, the challenges between divine and human consciousness. And it is written in the fifth book of Moses, the Deuteronomy, there will be always poor people in the world. And we are instructed to be charitable and help the poor, the widow and the orphan. We are not instructed to get rid of poverty. Isn't it interesting? So, and yet some now are talking, and, and that's what they were doing in, in uh, Cuba and, and in North Korea and in Venezuela, wherever they start this movement inspired by Karl Marx. They all want to equalize people, to get rid of poverty, to make everyone 
everyone on the same level. But not everyone is equal. Here I prepared something for you. Uh, I want to read for you something that uh, Nikolai Berdyaev, a Russian Christian philosopher, wrote about a hundred years ago. Let me read it. Let me, okay, let me pull it out. Here's what he said about uh, equality. Freedom is the right to inequality. Equality and freedom are incompatible things. By their nature, people are not equal. Equality can only be achieved by violence. And it will always be by leveling off by the lower level. Equalizing the poor with the rich can only be achieved by depriving the rich of his wealth. Equalizing the weak with the strong can only be achieved by depriving the strong of his strength. You can level a fool with an intelligent person only by turning the intelligence into being something, from being something admirable into something repugnant. The society of universal equality is a society of the poor, weak, and stupid based on violence. How about that? Isn't it interesting? So, uh, and that is all uh, about politics for today. There is yet another thing. Uh, maybe I allow myself this luxury of contemplation because I'm pre-recording it. There is another thought I must share with you. I've been thinking about it for a while. Maybe that's the right time now to tell you. This show at some point will come to an existential crisis. Yeah, I know that they say the Chinese hieroglyph that stands for the world for the word crisis is the same uh, that stands for opportunity. That's all very sounds very nice, and it's true. But then I'm asking what opportunities I can find for this show within some three or four months. I will tell you why I'm bringing it up. Nine months ago, I started doing this Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox show. And the idea I had was to introduce concrete practical tools for better living to you, my dear audience, to share with you all that I learned the tools I have been using over the period of 40, or what is it now, 43 years of my clinical practice, uh, practice of uh, practicing mind-body integrative therapy. Well, during these nine months, I shared with you the tools for dealing with stress, uh, anxiety, if you go back now, this is show number 41. Uh, I spoke about depression, how to work with your night dreams, how to understand the meaning of whatever illness one may have, how to deal with the inner saboteur. Remember, I spoke about the inner debater in one of the shows. Then I spoke about the tool for marvelous tool for better communication, connection with people. That is the science and art of face reading. And within a couple of months, I will be finished with sharing with you all the tools I have in my program, Six Pillars of Well-Being, even though it takes a while. Because 
you know, it's a big, big program. And as I said, it will take a long time for you if you if you dare, if you choose to follow the program, it does take a long time. And but yet will be finished in a couple of months. And I have a few more programs to introduce to you. A program that I designed completely and I ran for many years for cancer patients, a program for uh, sports performance, a program on how to improve your memory and concentration, uh, a program for uh, dealing with chronic pain. But I have to tell you, it. the truth is I'm running out of material, maybe not three months, but four or five months. Uh, a while ago, somebody actually asked me, how can you do the same thing for decades? Over and over again, problems that people present are universal. There are maybe 20 or 30 main problems that people come to see you with. And you've seen thousands of people. Isn't it over and over again, the same thing? Aren't you bored? That's what I was asked. And I honestly I asked, answered, uh, and I absolutely feel this. It's absolutely true to me. It would be incredibly boring if I followed a template, a recipe for dealing with problems. Uh, definitely, they definitely repeat themselves. The reason I have never been bored is because people are different. Every single person is different. I may see and say, see 10 people with the same problem. But these are 10 different journeys, 10 different puzzles to put together, 10 different educational processes for them to go through. So my original idea of doing this show was not that I would lecture to you. In fact, you know, I actually spoke to a friend, Michael, a couple of days ago, and I, I asked him, what's happening? Why do not, it, it, I received very nice emails, people thanking me and saying good things about the show. Uh, but why don't people call? And Michael suggested that he said, you know, I listen to your shows. They're interesting, but you're lecturing. So people are used to you lecturing, they're interested. They're listening, maybe making notes, but they're not easy. it's not a, a, a process like some other shows, which, is, which are based completely on call-ins, which one show that is right, um, uh, airs right before mine. And it's not very nice. People constantly call. That's all the, the, the host is doing, talking, uh, responding to people's calls. And, and Michael said, you know, that's not what people are accustomed to listening to your show. Uh, I understand. So I would love to change it. Uh, but so as I said, my, my original idea that, that, I, that I would talk on a subject and people would call in and I would help them, help them out in whatever they're dealing with in their lives. Or we would have a discussion on some issue. Uh, the caller would benefit, and the audience would hear how I utilize the tools dealing with that issue with that particular person and benefit from it too. 
And since people are all different, this could go forever. For example, I thought that when I introduced the subject of night dreams, there would be hundreds of callers. In fact, I have to tell you, if there were only one thing that people could learn from me, from interaction with me, regardless whether they spend with me an hour or 20 or 30 hours, it would be to how to understand and engage their night dreams. Because the night dream is one reflection of where we are physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and it's also a blueprint for where we are going. Yet I had, had only one person who called, and I worked with her on the show, maybe some of you heard it. And I believe it was definite, not, no, no, not, it's not that I believe, she actually said clearly that I helped her uh, to, to see clearly something. So she benefited, it was useful for, for her, and I think it was interesting for people to, to hear it. But unfortunately, people call so infrequently. Uh, I, had, I have another idea, if, uh, and again, I'm, I'm talking to you, and I hope you will call, because remember, when people come to see me, or, or now I work only on, or primarily on internet, when people have individual sessions, it costs a lot of money. My fee is relatively high, not super high, but relatively high. But here you have an opportunity to have actually a free session. Uh, but again, I welcome your calls. But if there are still no calls, I have this other idea. Uh, if you are not comfortable calling in, you can write to me, send me an email, and let me know if you want me to talk about some specific problem you're dealing with. Of course, I will not have you then um, to ask you questions. But write as many details as you can. Just keep, uh, you know, keep it short. Don't, don't, make, don't write a novel and don't make it many pages because it will then take me forever to read, you know, and if I get a lot of letters like this, it may be a problem for me. Keep it within one page. Do not write the whole life story. Just specifically write uh, the issue and uh, details that you're dealing with, the challenges you're dealing with. And I will try to talk. And then, by the way, when you write, you can also write a fictitious name. I know some people uh, feel uncomfortable sharing with something that is so personal. And uh, if you, you can even write in the email, talk about it, but talk about like it about someone else. So if a woman writes and she she's afraid that it will sound too close to who she is and her friends or whatever, whoever will recognize, I will change it. I will change the story. I will say this is a man and I will alter circumstances, but still a person will be able to benefit from hearing how the, the issue uh, is to be addressed. Okay? That's all about the show now. And now, finally, oh God, <laughs> I spent half the hour talking about not the main issues. Okay, so today I prepared uh, for you the, the program uh, that we started a while ago. 
and that is we continue our work on six pillars of well-being. I introduced it to you now. I'm looking on 23rd of February this year. So now, six months and two weeks later, we're still on the fifth pillar, our conscious beliefs and attitudes and character traits. I will remind you, I have identified 13 attitudes or 13 challenges we face that make the climb up the ladder of self-mastery extremely difficult. Some of us have to deal with you know, one or two challenges. Some of us have to deal more. Uh, if this is new for you, if I'm talking now about six pillars of well-being and you did not work on it and you like what we'll be talking today about, I will remind you that when I started speaking, first uh, talk I had was on guilt. I spoke on it on the 4th of, no, 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 of April the 7th. Then I spoke about judgment on April the 20th. I spoke um, on jealousy and then and ingratitude. Uh, I, I spoke on doubt then in July. I see I have a note here. So I probably didn't speak for a couple of months about six pillars of well-being. On July 7th, I spoke about doubt and I spoke about worry um, on August 3rd. Today, I intend to talk about expectations. Uh, you remember the last thing, time we spoke about worry and expectation is kind of opposite. Worry is uh, thinking about the future and something negative happening in the future. But expectations, it's supposedly a positive thing, looking into the future for something good to happen, and yet it can be as damaging as worry. And you will know why in a little while. So, and if we have time, I also will talk about uh, arrogance. And then all we'll have to cover is anger, vanity, greed, apathy, and denial. As I talk, if uh, any of you have questions, um, you cannot call, so you can just make notes and send them to me, send me an email. I want to speak about expectations. Expectations, ladies and gentlemen, uh, just as much as the worry, it imprisons us in the non-existent future. Yes, it sounds positive. Positive expectations also can limit our ability to live in the present moment because it's all about the present moment, that all that exists. Remember, everything else is a story that is played out in our mind. Past is dead, completely dead, non-existent. It only exists in our memory and for sure it can have great impact on our life. If we could, and you know, when I spoke about depression, uh, I spoke to you about how to disconnect from your past, make corrections to the past and move on. Because if we are focusing on the past, we are living in our head, not in the real world. The real world is the present moment. 
So, but expectations, it's another way not to really live in the real world. It's another way of making up a story. When we create an expectation, our mind and emotions become attached to the future outcome. We're no longer fully in the here and now because part of us is there in the future, comparing what is to the idea of what should be. Uh, as I said before, the trap about the future thinking is that the future does not exist. Although it's true that the potential for the future exists in the present moment. How this moment unfolds is unknown, absolutely unknown. I, I, I think that I, uh, I shared with you one time when I suddenly discovered, like my daughter was five years old, and I, I said to her, and she said to me, Daddy, tell me the story. And I was rushing to go to work. And I said, Lavink, I, I, I will tell you the story when I come back. And then I drove away and I felt so sad. I said to myself, I just lied to my daughter because I don't know. I don't know what will happen in an hour, in five hours. It's absolutely uh, impossible to predict. So we may uh, have kind of a vision, an intention of something, some outcome, but we really don't know what will happen. Uh, as my professor in graduate school, and that's why I still remember his name all the years, and I remember his name, Dr. Chazen. He said, anything can happen and does. And it's so true. He said few things which are so <laughs> powerful. For example, he said, every person at the end of the day needs a cookie. Of course, not necessarily physical, but a reward, something to go to, something to make you feel kind of good for the day, uh, after the day that you went through. So anyway, with the future, we may sense the tendency, we may know the historical trend, we may guess about the most logical consequences and make predictions. And yet, when we move into the future time, the result, when we actually arrive to the future, that will not be future, that will be present. And the result may be something very different from what we envisioned. In fact, excuse me, I will have a little sip of my tea. In fact, most of the time, the future does not conform to our expectations. Most of our expectations are not fulfilled because they are based on an ideal, which is a construction of the mind rather than the reality. Something other than what we expected may happen. It may be quite different or close to what we expected. It may be even very close to what we expected, but rarely rarely it is exactly what we want therefore most of the time when we have expectations we to greater or lesser degree feel disappointed let's make a diagram if you happen to listen uh, to me talk now and if you have a piece of paper and a pen just write down the word expectations and now make a little arrow down and under it write disappointment. 
So if we have expectations sooner or later, we'll feel disappointed. We'll maybe be disappointed very much or little, but, but most of the time when we have clear expectations, we feel disappointed. So once you wrote disappointment, make a little error down. When we feel disappointed, we hurt a little bit or a lot, but we hurt. So write down hurt. And now make a little arrow down from hurt and write blame. When we are hurt, we begin to blame. Remember, we were looking for person, for someone responsible for that thing, for that bad feeling. Blame is a very, very bad companion, but that's what happens very often. I'm talking about this cascade that is happening. So when we blame, we blame ourselves or others. So make, take a, a, from the word blame, make two errors, one to the left, one to the right. So, and under, on the on, uh, left error, right, others, and on the right, right, yourself, or the other way around. When we blame ourselves, from ourselves to write, uh, make a little error down and write, we feel angry. That's like, why did I do this to myself? How could I do this to myself? Uh, and so on, we become punitive. When we blame others, it's even a bigger issue. Make now four different little errors uh, from others. We feel Oh, I'm, I'm very sorry. No, 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 no. That's, that's the opposite. When, when we blame others, we feel angry. Yeah, we, that's, that will be much better. You see, I got confused. When we blame others, we feel angry. Uh, because like somebody did this to, the, to, uh, to us, and we feel uh, possibly not only angry, but vindictive. Uh, begin to think of how we'll get back at people. So that's that's when we blame others. When we blame ourselves, that's where we you you write four errors. We feel either insecure, like uh, I, I must be stupid. I did this to myself. Oh, and we feel so bad uh, and so uh, inferior. How could I do this? How could I? How did I manage to let myself down? Or we feel fearful, like it will never end. That's another error. It will never end. I will always, always let myself down and so on. Uh, or we feel guilty. Why did I do this to myself? Uh, and so on. And another error, we feel the same that we feel toward uh, somebody else. We feel anger at ourselves. So if we feel these feelings, anger, insecurity, fear, or guilt, whether it's to somebody, toward somebody, or toward ourselves. Now I'm asking you to test it. If we feel one of these feelings, remember it all came from disappointment through this cascade, within one to 24 hours, we'll experience some form of physical tension and or a desire to engage in some habitual, most of the time negative behavior. 
this entire cascade happens quickly without our conscious awareness. We often become aware of it only when the final stage of the process occurs, when we have the symptoms. Just look now again at your diagram. Pom, 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 pom. A disappointment, right? A first expectation, disappointment, hurt, blame, and then all these four feelings, and here you are, uh, bent out of shape. Uh, yet usually the result is not those habitual responses, but something else. It's not the end. Often, as soon as we recognize that we have uh, tense, have muscle pains, or are acting in some way we wish we would not act, we begin, <clears throat> excuse me, to criticize ourselves for being where we are. We may think, look, I'm uh, 30 or 40 or 60 years old, and I'm still driving myself crazy. And here comes another expectation that you should be more evolved. You shouldn't be in that place. And this makes you feel disappointed about yourself. And so here goes another cycle. Some people, after looking at this diagram, have said to me, this is a story of my life. Can you relate to it? You may want to pause now and think of the time in which you had an unrealized expectation, which led to the feelings or, uh, uh, that of guilt, disappointment, and so on, or some bodily symptoms. Now, we have discuss the harmful effects of having expectations. And you may ask, uh, if you are not to have expectations, how do you plan your life? How do we start? How do we set and achieve goals? Uh, we do so by having intentions. And it's not just semantics. An intention means knowing where you want to go and what you want to achieve and then doing the best you can to accomplish it. That's all. But in moving ahead, it's important to remember anything, remember my professor, anything can happen and does. So we need to be attuned to constant changes and opportunities. That's all. We need to be attuned to changes and opportunities that present themselves at any stage of our journey. We'll also need to let go of any fixed images of what the final outcome may be and be ready and willing to make necessary adjustments as we move forward. Adjustments not only in how we are moving forward uh, toward our destination, uh, but also adjustments in the way we originally set our intention. So if you are interested uh, in doing practice, uh, I will give you two assignments. If you if you really want to observe, well, just for one week maybe, uh, if there are expectations that you're setting in your life and what you want to do. So here we are with uh, the assignment for expectations. If during the course of the day, you catch yourself dwelling on the future, repeatedly picturing 
how something will turn out, going over and over in your mind some uh, expected outcome. Simply say to yourself, here is, state your name, I would say, here goes Peter in the process of making up a story. That's all. And go right back to whatever you are doing or thinking in the present moment. If you become aware of any physical tension, that's the second thing. That's already means that the expectation is kind of settled in your body. It happens so fast. Uh, you, you probably know, you had the, probably the experience where you have a nice day, everything is fine, and then some, something happens, and in, in, within a minute or two, you feel tense. You don't even know where it hits you from, how it happened. So if you become aware of some physical tension, or some maybe addictive craving, follow the diagram to see if it brings you back to some strong emotion. And if it does ask yourself, basically go back up the diagram. Remember, we were going down with errors, go back up the diagram. <clears throat> so if you uh, feel that there is a strong emotion, ask yourself, who I'm blaming? And what is the hurt? And going back, and if I'm hurting, it means I'm disappointed. And if I'm disappointed, what was the expectation of the root of it all? And as soon as you become aware of the expectation, you say to yourself, this is a story. It has no relevance in my life. Uh, refrain from judging. Just acknowledge this is a story and move on. Okay. So, you know, if you take this advice, uh, and you know, I lived a long life and, and I had it both ways. I was disappointed. We, we all, there is no, if you are 30 or 40 year old, you already had some challenges. In fact, you know, the teachings of the Buddha begins, um, begin with the words, life is difficult. So no matter how wealthy a person is, no matter how smart they are, no matter how loved they are by others, you ask any person, did you have challenges in your life? And they will tell you, you. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, of course, life is not simple. So I've seen, experienced having expectations and having great disappointments and hurting and then after somewhere, uh, maybe 30, 35, 32 years ago, I got familiar with this concept. By the way, I did not come up with this concept myself about the, the, this diagram uh, uh, about expectations. I first uh, heard it from uh, Dr. Bob Rendell Gibson. He shared with this diagram. And I found it incredible. And I shared with many people. And I started working myself started working on on this uh, working on getting rid of stories in my mind getting rid of having uh, clear expectations and attachments and life became much much easier and when i talk about expectations even even expectations like uh, i want to be a doctor what happens when you have a clear expect or i want to go to paris or I want to spend 
vacation in that place. And once you get attached to that particular uh, idea, you really do human sacrifice, which means you are sacrificing your now, your present moment on the altar of that story that you created. Uh, I want to be a doctor and I, I want to live in that city. And now you're attached to it and now you meet maybe some wonderful people uh, or you may have an opportunity to fall in love or you have an opportunity to get involved in the project, but you have that goal. Oh, no, 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 no. I cannot do anything else. I have to, to keep doing, uh, going toward my goal. Uh, and then you sacrifice all the opportunities. And when you arrive at that goal, it may be after all not that pleasant. Now you will say, wait a minute, don't we have to set up goals and have clear uh, uh, vision and many teachers of um, what inspirational teachers say, yes, you have to see yourself having, if you want that Mercedes-Benz, you have to see it and, and see yourself driving that Mercedes-Benz over and over again. Uh, I am not a big proponent of this kind of envisioning. I am a proponent of having clear intention of planting the seed. That means, yes, you want to have that car, fine. You think of wanting that car and say, may the best potential manifest itself. And you do your best, knowing fully that it's only an intention. You may, may not get it. The same thing with any project. I want you to see very clearly the difference between intention and an expectation. And the intention is something like we have the intention, let's say a pilot has the intention, she is leaving uh, Newark Airport and he wants to land in uh, Charles de Gaulle Paris Airport. He cannot constantly focus and think about Charles de Gaulle because there is constant, uh, con there are constant winds. He has to make adjustments. He may need to go up, may need to go down. And he may, after all, not arrive exactly on time that he intended to. And that's okay. That's flexibility in life. And imagine now a person said, no, no, no I have to be exactly on time. Uh, he may kill himself and other people. The same thing with everything else. You have the intention and it's perfectly fine. Just don't get too attached to the outcome, knowing anything can happen and does. And you welcome whatever outcome uh, comes and you celebrate and you acknowledge that this is the best. You can have the intention for, for next month or next year to accomplish the same thing that you wanted. But this time with, uh, it didn't work out and you have to be in the present, this, be deciding whether or not you want to set another intention or you want to change the vision of what you want. That's also very important. Okay, so that's, that's all for uh, expectation. I don't think that I want to start talking about um, arrogance because it's a big subject. But I want to tell you uh, what I want to do next week. Okay, I want to do something different next week. I already had here on this show as a guest, my nephew Vladimir angered, I had him three times. Uh, 
And the reason I keep inviting him or kept inviting him because uh, a lot of people send me emails. He is an international, uh, internationally known psychic medium and energy healer. Again, after uh, having each show that I had with him as an interviewee, I received a lot of emails, a lot of positive and inquiring feedback um, and people saying you should invite him again. And what I want to try next week is something new. I will have Vlad here and Vlad and I will talk about one of the most powerful tools for healthy and balanced life that humanity has. And that tool is the Bible and the Ten Commandments. Vlad and I have quite different life experiences, quite different educational and professional experiences, and different ways we approach the Bible. But I thought it would be interesting to you, my dear audience, to hear the synthesis of these two views. We'll give it a try and see what happens. Of course, I would very much appreciate uh, if you call during the show or you send me emails uh, as a feedback to, to that show um, and to see if you have interest in us continuing those conversations because we'll not talk about, we'll not just repeat the commandments, we'll talk in depth uh, of understanding how to uh, apply them the deeper meaning on, on psychological, moral, spiritual, everyday, mundane level, how to apply those commandments. And uh, finally, I'm coming to an end of this, of this show. Uh, I will again uh, look forward to hearing from you, uh, receiving your emails about uh, your you, how you feel and how you practiced um, the assignments about expectations. If you only learned, and I think I told you about sharing with you other things <laughs> during these months, but if I really believe if you would be able to get rid of stories in your mind, master the, the issue of expectations, the quality of your life would improve immensely. The only other thing so far that I believe is as powerful as getting rid of these unreasonable um, expectations is judgment, because we also judge a lot ourselves and others, and that adds to human suffering. And that's all I wanted to tell you today. And I want to thank you for listening, for being part of this show, and I hope you will choose uh, to tune in next Tuesday. Peace to all who want to live in peace.